little bit of a little bit of trouble with it this morning. Um, I want to say a very warm welcome to each and every one of you. I am Heather. It's so lovely to see you here today. And um, I know it's already been said, but again, a very happy Father's Day to all of the fathers here. Sure, we are so grateful to our dads. This world needs fathers, and to my dad is here today, and to my husband, sure, thank you for your presence in our life and just how you serve us, you know, with such servant hearts. We love you. Um, and I was thinking as well about all the other father figures in this place, whether you actually dads or not. I was watching Daniel on the drums and thinking about how he's a father figure in this place to so many of the younger kids, all the way to Daniel's grandpa, Charles. Um, yeah, so to everyone here who gives us wisdom into life, who jokes with us and with our kids, thank you. You guys are special and we love you. Um, so, true story, we had this little incident with our kids a couple of years ago. I think Katie was about six years old, and so the others would have been about one and two and three. And we'd had life group the evening before, and somebody had very kindly brought one of those chocolate cakes with, you know, like the fake cream inside? And there was quite a bit of this cake left over, and it was on the kitchen counter, and I got a phone call and it was not a long call, but by the time I got back to the kitchen, the cake was missing, and so were the children. <laughs> so I followed the sound of giggles and whispers into the passage, which was really only three steps, and I don't know how in such a short space of time this was even possible, but the passage walls were covered with chocolate cake and cream at various height levels. <laughs> and I looked into the bedroom, and there was chocolate cake and cream on the floor, on the carpet, and on the beds, and on the walls. And I stood in the passage with my little children around me. You see, it's only funny for children. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I did? I stamped my feet. I did a whole little stomp stomp. <laughs> and Katie... She looks up at me and she says, Mommy, do you know God? <laughs> <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Our response to the situations we face should be different because we know Jesus. The situations, how we face the situations that come at us should be changed because we face them with the King of Heaven. And so the small moments, like the chocolate cake explosions, and the big moments, the heartaches and the traumas and the trials that we face, because we face them with the King of Kings, should look different. Now, that does not mean that we don't grieve, that we don't lament, that we don't wrestle, that we don't ask God big questions. We should be doing that in the little things and in the big things. In fact, if we are not doing that, then I don't think our faith can be very deep or very real. 
You know, God calls us as his children to bring our lives in line with his will. And that is gonna take some deep honesty and some big wrestles. So we're spending a couple of weeks looking at a few characters from scripture and how their faith influenced and impacted their living. And today we're meeting a man called Habakkuk. It's a horrible name. <laughs> I don't know how you're supposed to say it. Some people say Habakkuk. Anyway, I feel like I'm clearing my throat or, yeah, it's a horrible name. <laughs> you don't hear many people, you know, so many people choose the major or minor prophets to name their kids. Not many people are <laughs> naming their sons Habakkuk. But anyway, who was this man? He was an Israelite and he was a prophet. But he was living in a time where corruption was rife. And what he was seeing all around him didn't make sense to him. It didn't make sense to him that God wasn't doing anything about it. And this whole book is a deeply honest, honest conversation between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk brings his confusion and his despair and his questions directly to God. He point blank asks God the, God the questions that he's wrestling with without holding anything back. And we're gonna dive into his story today, but before we do, can we take a moment to pray? Father God, thank you that we get to call you Father. The High King of Heaven is our Father and our God. And Lord, today we know that you have got your word that you're longing to speak to us as your church. But Father God, you also have words for each and every person sitting here today. You have got something to say to every person in this place. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help open the ears of our hearts and that you'll just help us to rest and listen to you as you share your word with us today. We love you, Lord. Amen. So this morning, we are going to look at the two big questions that Habakkuk asks God and God's response to him. Question number one, where are you, God? Reading from Habakkuk 1. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry but you do not come to save. Why must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Habakkuk is disturbed deep inside of himself. He's feeling this inner turmoil. Israel is meant to be the people who represent God to the rest of the world. But there's corruption and violence everywhere. Society's a mess. Justice is perverted. And what Habakkuk is seeing all around him, it doesn't line up with who he knows God to be. And so he asks God, where are you? 
How can you be okay with this? Why aren't you doing anything to stop it? And then, God, the King of glory, responds to Habakkuk. But man, it isn't the answer that he was hoping for. From verse 5, the Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. And then God says to him, I am doing something, I am at work here, and I'm setting it right, but it is not going to look the way you expect it to. And God goes on to explain that he is going to use the nation of Babylon to discipline Israel and ultimately to draw them back to himself. And God describes the Babylonian nation, and it is everything that is already causing Habakkuk so much inner turmoil, but it's like violence and destruction on steroids. God is going to use Babylon this violent, barbaric, evil nation to execute justice on his behalf and ultimately to set Israel right with him again. Sure, can you imagine it, guys? The king of creation speaks to you and he tells you what his plan is. And it sounds terrible. It seems so wrong. It seems opposed to who you know him to be. So Habakkuk asks God another question. He doesn't leave it there. He pushes in to know God better. Question number two. God, what are you doing? He's basically asking, how can this be the best plan? But I love how he comes to God with this question. Jumping back into scripture from verse 12. O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal. He speaks the character of God, but he also speaks out of his personal relationship with God, my Holy One. I know that you are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? He basically says, God, this doesn't make sense to me. I know you are good. You hate evil. How can a good God think that this is a good plan? But Habakkuk does it with a real respect and with this assurance that God is God. And then he does something I love and that I want to do more. So Habakkuk has asked his questions and now he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard, po guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Habakkuk acknowledges this doesn't make sense to me, but rather than giving up or resorting to anger or getting 
apathetic or trying to change God's mind, he waits. He rests in his relationship with his Holy One, and he waits for God to respond. He makes time and space to hear from God, and he brings his whole life, his body, his mind, and his heart into line, into focus with who God is. And I love this. He expects that God will correct him. He isn't coming to God and saying, God, I think you've got this wrong. He's coming to God and saying, I must have this wrong. Help me get it right. And again, God responds. God says to Habakkuk, I am gonna show you something and I want you to write it down and write it so big that a runner running past can see it. And wait for the vision. It may seem to be taking long, but wait for it. Friends, I think that sometimes we are brave enough to ask God our real, raw, honest questions. But do we wait for him to respond? I love how the message puts it. And then God answered, write what you see, write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. The NLT puts it like this. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. Just like so much of scripture, this is one message that is pointing to two truths. God tells Habakkuk, this is for Israel's soon to be future. You're gonna see it in your day. Habakkuk, the things that you're seeing that's causing you so much distress, that is not how the story is gonna end. Because I'm gonna call Israel back to myself. I'm sending a judge but I'm also sending a redeemer. And Babylon's not gonna go unpunished for what they do. There will be justice. But man, there is another truth that God is proclaiming here, and it's so much bigger than Israel, and it stretches so much further than Habakkuk could ever begin to imagine. God is pointing to what the whole of creation is aching for. I love that line, it aches for the coming. You see, God is not only judge and redeemer for Israel, God is the judge and the redeemer for the whole of creation. And he is riding in to set things right and to make everything new. Everything that our souls ache for, everything that our broken world aches for has already been set in motion by God. So God shares with Habakkuk how he is going to deliver perfect justice. And then he very much answers also question number two, um, where Habakkuk says, will you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Speaking about the Babylonians, but again, this is a twofold thing, pointing, saying one thing, pointing to two. He's telling um, Habakkuk about the Babylonians, but he's also speaking to us of the corruption and evil in the world around us today. 
God says, look at the proud. And then five times he repeats, what sorrow awaits them. Another translation says, woe to them. Five times God repeats that as he describes the judgment that awaits Babylon because they put their faith in their own strength rather than in him. Friends, God is fierce. He is fierce. Sometimes it's hard for us to link the idea of God's fierceness with his goodness. Um, in our minds, they seem like complete opposites. And it was actually Ezekiel who pointed this out to me. Um, he said, you know, God is perfectly just. And so there must be a fierceness in him as he comes to judge and to wipe out all evil. And he is perfectly good at the same time. God's fierceness and his goodness are not opposed. He is going to crush every injustice that is fierce. But his fierceness displays his goodness. God is at work and his plan is perfect. But when we look at it, it can seem really strange, really hard to understand. But just because we struggle to understand it doesn't mean that God is an active or that what he is doing is anything less than brilliant. I love how God tells Habakkuk, write it down big. Let the whole world see that hope is coming. Let the whole world see that I'm on my way. The ache of the world will be fully met in Jesus Christ. You see, what's happening here is God is whispering Jesus to Habakkuk. He's giving him a little glimpse of what is to come at Jesus Christ on the cross. And God is whispering Jesus to us again today through the story of Habakkuk. Friends, if there is some sort of an ache inside of you, because things are not as they should be, maybe your child is being bullied at school and you see them just shrinking more and more, maybe you're living with chronic illness or with a broken relationship, Maybe you look at our country and all you see is corruption and violence. There are a thousand different things that make us ache for the wholeness we were made for. If your heart aches, bring your pain to God. Rest in his presence and wait to encounter him. Because his plan includes you. He has a role for you to play. Jesus has carried every wound in himself at the cross. The blood that he has shed, it has healed every pain and every injustice that you experience. He has rewritten every wrong and recreated everything that is broken. And one day, it will be experienced in fullness. It'll be fully realized and fully known the end of all violence and corruption, perfect justice, saving grace for those who trust in him. And we can rest in the truth of that today. So God tells Habakkuk his plan. But in his incredible kindness, God also tells him why. He tells him the result of what it is that he is doing. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 says, for as the waters fill the sea, 
the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. That is my friend Sam. Hey, Sam. When Sam gets excited or he gets frustrated, he lets out his mighty roar. And we love having him here today. <laughs> so God is saying to Habakkuk, I am doing this so that the whole world will know the glory of God. And then there is this brilliant shift in the writing. And you see, Habakkuk has asked God his questions. They've had this really real conversation, this wrestle. God has responded and he said to Habakkuk, I'm coming with justice and with authority. And suddenly, this conversation changes. It morphs into praise-filled prayer. Habakkuk 3. I think it's from verse 2 or 1. I'm not sure. <laughs> I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom, the Holy One coming from Mount Paran. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens, and the earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Habakkuk catches a glimpse of the glory of God. He catches a glimpse of the high king of heaven. And listen to how he describes God. He says, the holy one, awesome power, brilliant splendor. And he's totally filled with amazement. I'm going to skim now quickly through verses 11 to 15. Oh, I think it might be from 9. <laughs> something, something. And I want you to have a listen and tell me what it is that, that you are hearing here. Okay, I want you to think, what does this remind you of? I see God moving. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. You split open the earth. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands in submission. You went out to rescue your chosen people. You trampled the sea with your horses, and the mighty waters piled high. Okay, what does that remind you of? What does that make you think of? Exodus, well done. This is Exodus language. Habakkuk remembers God's track record of faithfulness. And as he recounts what God has done in the past, as he says it out loud, his heart is changed in the present. There's a renewed awe of God. He catches a glimpse of the power of God. And as he remembers what God has done, it renews his assurance that God is good and he can't help but respond in worship. What's really cool about chapter 3, um, this chapter is that it comes with this little instruction at the end of the chapter. You can go and look in your Bibles. And it basically says this needs to be sung with a full-stringed orchestra. And I, I love that. There's something triumphant about this. 
it's like a crescendo. And I can almost imagine Habakkuk saying to Israel, as you pass this down from generation to generation, this needs to be a community affair of worship. This is our God. And as Habakkuk just encounters God, as he remembers, as he proclaims, he finds himself declaring these words. Even though the fig tree have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Even if, yet I will rejoice. Gareth said a couple of weeks ago, our God is not a what-if God, and we never have to live as what-if people. We can say with Habakkuk, even if, even if the harvest doesn't come, even if the crops fail, I will praise God. Even if things don't go the way I hope, even if I lose my job, even if the diagnosis isn't good, even if... We can rest in the hands of a God who is coming to set everything right and to heal every hurt. So how does Habakkuk's story transect with your very real lived-in life and mine today? We can learn some incredible things from this man's faith in God. Friends, I want to ask you, where does your heart go when life doesn't seem to make sense? And when it seems maybe to you like God is choosing not to act. Habakkuk challenges us not to let our circumstances define God for us. We will never live transformed lives based on our read of the circumstances. We have got to let God's consistent revelation of who he is be the, be the lens through which we read the circumstances of our lives, not the other way around. We trust not based on what we see, but based on who God is. So we are not trying to hit on a formula here. That's not how reading scripture works. Um, but when we look at Habakkuk's life, there are some things that we can see. Um, and we can, we're just going to take an opportunity now to ask the Holy Spirit to maybe highlight one or two things for each one of us. One or two things that maybe we need to practice in our own walk with him. One or two things where maybe we're needing encouragement or assurance from him. I've picked out five. Maybe it's something else for you that has really just settled in your heart. If that is it, you go with that. But um, yeah, sometimes we just need some fresh perspective from God. And so let's just take a few seconds now, quietly in your own heart, to ask the Holy Spirit um, to reveal himself to you. Okay, so the first thing that I look at when I look at this part of scripture is I see that Habakkuk goes directly to God. God is the source of his hope. God is the one he knows he's gonna hear truth from. Now, when I'm seriously perplexed about something, 
I'll sometimes go to someone else first instead of going straight to God with my questions and my despair and my frustration. We see Habakkuk, he goes straight to God. The second thing he does is he comes with honesty, brave honesty. He doesn't hold back. He asks God hard questions. Three, he comes humbly. He makes much of God. And he waits to hear from God. He doesn't dump his questions on God and then carry on. He intentionally makes space and time to hear God's response. He climbs his watchtower and he stands at his guard post. Now, you probably don't have a watchtower in your gardens. (laughs) But it is very difficult for us to hear God's response when we aren't intentionally making time and space in our lives to hear his replies. And guys, that doesn't have to look um, strange. It doesn't have to look super spiritual. It can look very normal. Our relationship with God should be the most normal thing in the world. So making time and space for God, that can be when you're hanging the washing. That can be when you're cooking a meal, going for a jog, on your commute, riding into work, but it's God's time and his space. It's where you're more quiet than chatty and you're letting him, you're letting him respond. You're letting him have time and space in your life. The fourth thing, he actively, he chooses to actively remember God's faithfulness. And as he remembers, he speaks that out into his current reality. And five, he worships. God is glorified and our faith is strengthened when we worship our king. So he authentically engages God. He remembers God's faithfulness and worships our king. So if we jumble those things up, those three things around, we get the acronym WAR. Worship, authentic relationship with God, Remember his faithfulness. And I find that kind of cool as we look at that, that imagery that Habakkuk writes as he describes this warrior God riding in both to judge and to rescue. Elizabeth Elliot writes, God is God. Because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. Habakkuk starts with a heart that is weighed down, with a a mind that is confused and with big questions for God. By the time we hit the beginning of chapter three, he is singing a praise song to God, declaring the splendor of his holy one. And he is experiencing real peace. We can see this in what he says. But what's interesting is that his circumstances haven't changed at all. In fact, now he knows that things are going to get better before they get worse. What has changed is that he has caught a glimpse of God. He has seen him riding in to rescue and restore. And for us who live this side of the cross of Jesus Christ, we know that the final victory is on its way. When Jesus rides in again and the skies are filled with his brilliant splendor, every living thing praising his name, 
rays of light flashing from his hands, and his power is unmasked as everyone, everywhere, sees him for who he is. Friends, he is coming. Let's stand ready to receive our king, and let's write it down big. Let's live lives that make people look, that make them want to ask, so that they can know that hope is on his way and that they can rest in the assurance that a savior is coming to set everything right, that the whole earth may be filled with an awareness of the glory of God.